kind of excited, so I just want to go ahead and get started, um, get to get into God's word. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, we're doing we're dealing with um, a reason to hope lessons. Uh, today we're dealing with lesson uh, six. We're, we're uh, studying lesson six, and it's titled uh, "Speaking with Tongues." And um, we're going to start first by reading uh, Acts chapter two, verses one through eighteen. So if you don't mind putting it up on the screen real quick. Give you guys a little bit, give those at home a little bit to get to it. So we're going to start Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And it reads like this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hear them in his own native tongue, our own native language? We're going to go ahead and uh, bow our heads for the reading of the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We thank you for another day of life, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to be here, God. We thank you for this opportunity uh, to, to be here, to listen to your words, God, to, to refuel us today, Lord Jesus, to, to, to learn, to, to be taught um, what it means to speak in tongues, God, what it means to, to be filled with your Holy Spirit, God. Uh, we just want to thank you again for all the lessons that you have given us up to this point right here, God, and may today also be nourishing to our bodies. May it fill our spirit, God. May it rejuvenate us in, the, in your words and 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 your lessons, God, and what you have in store for us. So we just want to thank you again for all that you do in our lives. We say this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Pull out my phone here. Sorry, guys. I'm going to pull up the Bible app real quick because I need a little space for the notes that I have. So forgive me. I kind of cut off there. So we're going to go we're going to go a little bit further. Uh, I'm going to start in verse five. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hear them in our own native language? Parthians. Medeus and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, and Egypt and parts of Libya near Syrian, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, uh, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In these last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and daughters, Will, pros- will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on, my, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. 
So the lesson, the lesson today examines a subject that many people do not understand. Through study, we will be able to give, give others a reason why we believe what we do about tongues. A correct understanding of speaking in tongues depends on a close readings of these scriptures. Isaiah 28, 11, Mark 16, 17, Acts 2, verses 1 through 18, Acts 10, verses 44 through 48, Acts 19, verses 1 through 6, and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And I'm going to start off by reading uh, a couple of these. We're going to start in Isaiah 28, 11. And we'll go through them pretty quickly. Um, so you can mark them down and read them later if you need to, or, or we can, you can go back throughout the lesson. So Isaiah 28, 11 says, Very well then, with foreign lips and strange, strange tongues, God will speak to his people. Mark, Mark 16, 17 says this, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. Acts 10 44 through 48 says, while Peter was, was still speaking the, uh, these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even to Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, his vo uh, verse 47, surely no one can stand in the way of their, of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. 48 says, so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. We're going to go to Acts 19 uh, verses 1 through 6. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. Or Ephes yeah, Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not. No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, 1 through 14. Now, about the gift of spirits, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Verse 4 says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Verse 7 says, now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. Verse 9 says, to another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. Verse 10, to another, miraculous power. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another, the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11 says, all these are work of one in the same spirit and distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body through one has many parts, but all its many parts from one form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or the Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. So, 
we're going to go to the next section, use of the tongues in the Bible. And I'm going to go back to those scriptures. I wanted to read them first just, just so we can, uh, can hear them. We can, we can know what is being said, and I will go back to them um, as I need to. So I'm going to go to the next part. It says the use of tongues in the Bible. In the Bible, speaking in tongues falls into two distinct categories of use. And we must be able to distinguish between them to understand the subject. Number one says, speaking in tongues is the initial sign or evidence that a person has received the Holy Ghost. So again, it says, see in Isaiah 28, Mark 16, Acts 2, through, Acts 2 1 through 18, uh, Acts 10, 44 through 48, and Acts 19, 1 through 6. So in those scriptures, those are examples of speaking in tongues. Now, part two says the gifts of tongues which are two different things, and we need to be able to, uh, to understand the difference. The gift of tongues are more precisely diverse kind of tongues. Example is 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 10, is used among those who have already been baptized in the Holy Ghost. The gift of tongues is one for the pers personal edification of the believers as he or she speaks in tongues, and two, for the edification of the church as a whole when it is interpreted, as we've seen in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians uh, 1 through 14. So I wanted to stop for a second, and I wanted to explain for those who may not know what uh, edification means. Uh, edification is defined as a spiritual, a moral, and intellectual improvement. So the act of edifying or the state of being edified is a buildup, especially in the, moral, in the moral, emotional, or spiritual sense. So a moral, intellectual, or spiritual improvement through the encouragement and instructions. So basically what they're saying in two is, the gift of tongues is for the personal improvement of the believer as he or she speaks in tongues. For the personal improvement of the church as a whole when it is interpreted. So what they mean by that is when you're, when you're speaking in tongues and you're a believer, you speak in the tongues is talking to the Lord in a different language, an unknown language. And usually you will have, an, if, if that's, if, for example, if someone stands up in the church and starts speaking in tongues, usually you need an interpreter there for it to be understood or else you're just speaking in tongues. That's, that's conversation between you and the Lord. But if you stand up and say, you know, I have a message for the church and I'm speaking in tongues that needs to be followed by uh, uh, an interpreter or else no one knows what you're saying. That's what they're saying by that. It's usually a personal edification, a personal improvement of the believer as he or she speaks in tongues, tongues from you to the Lord. But if you're speaking to the church, uh, it needs to be interpreted by someone with that gift, the gift of interpretation. And we will, we will get to that. We will learn more about that as I go through. But I wanted to explain what edification meant. So definition, by comparing Acts 2.4, Acts 2.6, and Acts, or excuse me, Acts 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, with Acts chapter 2, verse 6, verse 8 and verse 11, we find that the Bible defines tongues as an actual language. The definition applies to both categories described above. So, other tongues refers to the language that the speaker has never learned, spoken as the Spirit gives them utterance. They can be languages spoken by other uh, nationalities as their native tongue, although each occurrence it is another tongue to the speaker. If someone is present who speaks that particular language, he can understand the speaker. This is what happened on the day of Pentecost. So what they're saying is on the day of Pentecost, you had 
believers there who the the Holy Spirit rushed through the rushed through the building, um, touched them, and they started to speak in other tongues. But it was another person's language. So you had Jews who was hearing this on the outside, like, wait a second, I thought these were Galileans. I, how do they know my language? That's that's what it meant to that's what it means to speak in other tongues. It's foreign to you, but someone knows that language. And if they hear it, they can interpret it what being what was said. Now the second part of that is unknown tongues. It's what I was trying to describe earlier. It says the King James Version also uses the phrase unknown tongue. Although the word unknown does not appear in the Greek, the context clearly conveys the meaning. The tongue is not understood by anyone present, but the speaker is speaking to God. So that's what that means. When, it's, when, it's, when you're speaking in tongues and it's unknown to anyone, um, that's a conversation that you're having with you to the Lord. It's a, it's a spiritual conversation, one that the Lord knows no one else does. He says, in each case, speaking in tongues is supernatural since the speaker speaks as the spirit gives them the ability. Examples of that is in Acts 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 4. So I'm going to read that real quick. So it, it's first initiated by the Holy Spirit. So verse 4 says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak and other tongues, as the Spirit enabled them, as the Spirit enabled them. So it's the Spirit that gives you the gift to speak in tongues. Um, so, so that's what that meant when they said it's a super, it's speaking in tongues is a supernatural since it's the, since the speaker speaks as the Spirit gives them the ability. So in the, in the worksheet that we have, it says before the beginning of this part of the lesson, lesson, review lesson five for a thorough understanding of the Holy Ghost. Now, lesson five was taught by Reverend Greg. Um, so we're, we're just going to go through it. Um, the next sentence says, Jesus Christ and his earthly ministry promised the Holy Ghost to his followers. And those promises can be found in um, cha uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 49. John chapter 14, verse 16 through 17, uh, chapter 15, verse 26, chapter 16, verse 7 through 13, and Acts uh, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. And it says, Christ's promise was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Peter declared that the promise of the Holy Ghost was for all people. I'm going to go there real quick. Verse uh Acts chapter 2, verse 38 through 39. So Peter, Peter was, was talking. He said, Peter said, replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So that was Peter saying that if you baptize and repent for your sins, you will be gift, you will be given the Holy Spirit. So what is this scriptural evidence that we have received this, this glorious gift? The only Bible evidence of the initial infilling of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. There is no other evidence given in the scripture. A president has been set in the word in the word of God, New Testament believers spoke with tongues when they received the Holy Ghost. Now, this next part um, I thought was pretty, pretty good. So it says this, the fruit of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit are not the initial evidence of baptism of the Holy Ghost, but are the ongoing evidence that a person is walking in the spirit. So the fruit of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit is different. And I want to I want to explain that um, a little bit more. So if you can get your Bibles and go to uh, Galatians. 
chapter 5 and verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love. So, so these, these are the, the spiritual fruits once you, once you get the Holy Ghost or you're walking in the Spirit. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So these are evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. So... The fruit of the spirit is it's in the it's in direct contrast with the acts of the sinful nature um, that we possess. And I, I kind of I want to read that first before I go on. And you can find those in the same chapter, chapter five, verse 19. And I'll read it like this. The acts of the flesh are obvious, are obvious sexual immor- immortality, immorality, impurity. Douchebaggery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and even an envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I felt like it was important to understand that part because when you when you are when the Holy Spirit is filled within you. You you are then have direct contrast with all those feelings, those feelings that you might have had before you came to the church, those feelings that you might have struggled with before you came to the church. So if you was dealing with the jealousy, the discord, the fits of rage, the selfish ambition, all of those things, once you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that should now shift into the fruits of the spirit, which is love, which is joy, which is peace which is kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So this, this passage describes all people to varying degrees when they do not know Christ and therefore are not under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Our sinful flesh produces certain types of fruit that reflect our nature. So the Holy Spirit produces types of fruit that reflects God's nature. So I, I wanted to make sure that I pointed that out when we're talking about the, the fruit of the Spirit. And I now want to go to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So the gifts of the Holy Spirit is different from the fruits of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, and these are gifts that, that uh, God gives to us that... Um, each one of us won't have all of these gifts. There's not one person who has all of these. And um, if you if you feel like you don't have one of these gifts, that doesn't mean that you're not walking with God. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. Um, he determines who he gives his gifts to for what reason he gives it to them. So I want to read those. The gifts of the Holy Spirit is wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, working miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, interpretation of tongues, and the kinds of tongues. So it's important to talk about these things uh, as it deals with today's lesson because it's important to know that interpretation of tongues is, is, a, is a gift from the Holy Spirit. So when I talked about earlier today where I said um, you can speak in tongues, but if you're speaking in tongues as in a church setting, it should be followed by an interpreter. And the interpreter is the one with the gifts of interpretation of tongues. So it's important that we know these things. So an often used and incorrect explanation of speaking in tongues is that on the day of Pentecost, God gave the apostles the ability to preach to all of the uh, nationalities present in Jerusalem in their native language. Acts 2.11 refutes this view for the listeners declared. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. The 120 believers praise God and proclaim 
his wonderful things in other languages as the spirit enabled them. But it was the apostle Peter who actually preached to the curious onlookers who, who had gathered around the upper room. In this sermon, Peter first used the keys to the kingdom of heaven that Jesus had given him back in Matthew 16, 19. I have often wondered why the proponents of this explanation send their missionaries to language school. Why not let the spirit simply anoint them to preach in their native language or their native tongues of the people? That was an extra that the person who wrote, wrote this said. So again, speaking in tongues is the one and only sign that God has given to the New Testament believers as evidence that they have received the Holy Ghost. Christ died at, at Calvary for us to have this glorious experience. It is the most wonderful thing that could happen in the person's life. The seeker should not ask God for tongues, but ask him for the Holy Ghost. Other tongues will accompany this gift. And if you, if you have never experienced the exhilarating, exhilarating excitement of the Holy Ghost, I pray that you will do so as you study this lesson further. The next part is uh, edification of the church. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying before, and, and, and it, hopefully it will make sense as I read this part to you. Um, the following discussion of speaking in tongues in the church, according to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, is strictly for those who have already received the Holy Ghost, as outlined earlier. These remarks are not applicable to the sinner, meaning if you're a non-believer, if you're a sinner, this does not apply to you. The use of tongues is not the initial evidence of being baptized in the spirit, but is one of several signs that occur in the body of believers who are full, who are full with the Holy Ghost. So I, I hope I haven't confused you guys. I hope I was able to explain it and I'll try to explain it better. So speaking into, um, let me go back a little bit because I, I feel like Speaking in tongues is the initial sign or evidence that a person has received the Holy Ghost. That's speaking in tongues. There is also the gift of tongues. The gifts of tongues are more precisely uh, diverse kinds of tongues. It's used among those who have already been baptized in the Holy Ghost. And the gift of tongues is for personal edification of the believer as he or she speaks in tongues. So edification meaning to lift you up, to build you up. So if I'm, if I'm a believer, if I already got baptized and I already received the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, and, and now I'm speaking in tongues, that's a, pers that's a personal conversation between me and the Lord. The, that's one part of it. That's the gift of tongues. The second part of it, for the edification of the church as a whole, so again, edification means to build up. So if I'm building up the church and I'm, I'm, I'm speaking in the church and I, have, I, I start to speak in tongues, that needs to be followed by an interpreter. That needs to be followed by someone who can interpret that language and then speak it to the church. So that's, that's the next part here that I'm speaking of, the edification of the church assembly. So I kind of wanted to go back in case I lost anyone, and make sure they understand where I was going. So it says, the following discussion is discussion of speaking in tongues in the church according to 1 Corinthians 12, 14, is strictly for those who have already received the Holy Ghost as outlined earlier. These remarks are not applicable to the sinner. The use of, of tongues is not the initial evidence of being baptized in the Spirit, but it is one of several signs that occur in a body of believers who are full of the Holy Ghost. It is, it is good to speak with tongues for personal and church edification. But to require believers to speak with tongues on a scheduled basis as a sign that one still has the Holy Ghost is unscriptural. Many factors are indicative of our walking in the spirit. Among them are, one, being obedient to the teachings of the scriptures. Two, bearing the fruit of the spirit. Three, being faithful to God's cause in every way. Four, abiding in Christ. And five, adding to our experience the necessary ingredients for spiritual stabilization. See John 15, see John 15, 1 through 8. I want to go there real quick. John 15, 
verse 1 through 8. It says, the vine and the branches. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Verse 4 says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6 says, if you do not remain in me, you're like branch that is thrown away and wither. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my d- disciples. So. Like I said, John 15, 1 through 8, Galatians 5, 22 through 23, 2 Peter 1 through chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. All of these other passages passages for, are for clarification to what I was saying here. We must remain with the Holy Spirit in order um, to receive these gifts. And those gifts are examples of you continuing to walk with the Holy Spirit. Tongues in this instance is one of the nine gifts of the spirit. I want to go there again. This is in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. Just want to read them again real quick. So it says, uh, uh, verse 8 says, To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous power, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and and to still another their interpretation of tongues. So I, I kind of wanted to go back to that just to, to reiterate. These are all the gifts of the spirit. So as you're walking with God, through your walk with God, these are the gifts that can be presented to you. Not everyone would have the same gift. Not everyone needs to have the same gifts. So if you feel like I'd rather have the gift of this, he probably didn't give it to you for a reason. So for the utterance of to edify the assembled believers, another one of the nine spiritual gifts must accompany it. This is what I was speaking of. If, if, you're, if, if your gift is uh, speaking in tongues and you're trying to edify the church, uh, you need to be followed by an, interpre- an, an interpreter. The interpretation of tongues. The interpretation may be given by the person speaking with tongues or by another person. So let us explain how tongues and interpretation may occur in a, lo- in a local church service. A believer full of the Holy Ghost is motivated or moved on the spirit or moved by the spirit to speak audibly in tongues to the whole assembly, meaning to the whole church. In reverence to God's spirit, the rest of the congregation should sit quietly in prayer, allowing God to perform his work of edification. Following a relatively short discourse in tongues, the speaker or someone else will interpret what was said. Both of these utterance must produce, must produce, must be produced by the spirit direction. So both of those should be led by the spirit. Just because you hear someone speaking in tongues doesn't mean you should just jump up and start interpreting what they said unless you're moved by the Spirit. That's what that means. That's why they say you need to have an, an interpreter there to, who's able to interpret what, the, what they're saying in tongues by prophecy. 
In 1 Corinthians, Paul was unquestionably given instructions for a local church service when he gave rules of govern speaking in tongues. Excuse me. When he gave rules to govern speaking in tongues, he said, when ye come together in the church, 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 28. See, go there real quick. So we can read what Paul said. 14, 26 and then 28. says, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instructions, a, re a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Again, edif edify means to build up. If anyone speaks in tongues, two or at the most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret it. Th this is Paul giving instructions on how to handle a situation like that. If there is no if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. So that was Paul giving instructions. So if you come across a situation like that in the church, this is how you handle it. If you are if you are an interpreter, if you have that gift, then you should speak and interpret what's being said. And he's saying, if you don't, if there is no interpreter, then that person who's ready to speak in tongues should stay quiet and speak between him and God. It says, while, while a church service is in progress, regulations are placed on both the public exercise of speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues. Speaking in tongues and interpretation for edification should come by course from the Greek word meros, which means a division, a share, a piece, a portion, a section, an allotment, or by turn. So by each person would have a turn to be able to do that. Three such public utterance are the maximum allowed in any one church service. This does not mean that two or three people must speak with tongues before there can be an interpretation Paul dealt with courses here, not persons, meaning turns. So that was Paul's instructions on how to handle a situation when you're in the church and someone is speaking in tongues. It says, after a, a maximum of three occurrences of speaking in tongues, whether or not there is an interpretation, speaking in tongues for con congressional edification should cease. If others in the congregation still feel prompted to speak in tongues, they should speak to themselves and to God quietly so the church service can progress. The same regulations apply to the gift of prophecy, which is a spirit-inspired utterance spoken audibly in the native tongue of the local assembly. So three of the nine spiritual gifts involve speaking, prophecy, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. There are not to replace or supersede the preaching of uh, the preaching of the word of God. Churches are not perfected, but only edified by spiritual gifts. God gave the ministry to the church for the perfection for its perfection. The control of every service should be in the hands of the pastor or the leader in charge of the service. So this was just breaking down rules and how to handle um, speaking in tongues and church service. So speaking in tongues plus interpretation is equal to and accomplish the same as prophecy. God chose tongues and interpretations as signs to unbelievers. 1 Corinthians 14.22 Let me go there real quick. I'm going to start at verse 21. It says, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to, to this people. 
But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. He says, tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for the unbelievers, but for the, for the believers. And so the reason that was said is because just like on the day of Pentecost, you had, you had people there speaking in tongues, but you had those on the outside, the ones that were listening, heard it and was like, wow, what's that? I, these are people that's not of my language. They don't speak my language, but they're speaking in my language. What is that? What's going on? Let me go check it out. Let me go see. They were the unbelievers who heard it, heard someone speaking in tongues. So then they wanted to go see what that was about. And they're saying prophecy is for those who already believe. That's the distinction, distinction between those two. Both a tongue that is interpreted and prophecy are for one or more of the following three purposes. For edification, exhortation, and comfort. God does not give spiritual gifts to a believer to set the church in order, to conduct business affairs, to purchase or not to purchase property, to build or not to build buildings, to instruct others and in giving money, to pronounce judgment on individuals, to direct two people to marry or to accept or reject ministers, and so on. Those who claim to do, to do so are speaking from their own spirits and not the spirit of God. Spiritual gifts must be exercised for the three purpose, purposes just stated. For edification, exhortation, and comfort. Paul encouraged, seek, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Paul listed peace, decency, and order as the guiding principles for any church service. Anything that violates one of these three principles is wrong, whether it's being supposed gifts of the spirit, preaching, singing, testifying, playing instruments, hands clapping, receiving offerings, entering and leaving the building or any other factor involving order and decorum in God's house. These guidelines do not in any way discourage or forbid the use of any genuine spiritual gifts. So the following, I'm going to keep going, the following facts concerning speaking in unknown tongues are aids to witnessing and forgiving others a reason for the a reason of the hope that is in us. When believers speak in tongues, they are speaking to God. No one understands them. In the spirit, they are speaking mysteries. They edify themselves. They should pray that they may be able to interpret. Speaking in tongues is secondary to prophecy unless someone gives the interpretations. I'm gonna stop right there real quick. So what they're saying is. If me as a believer and I'm in church, whether it's through music, I know, I know we've all been through there or been through it or experienced that when we're praying, we're worshiping God, uh, the spirit fills us. So we start speaking in tongues and they're saying when you speak in tongues, that's you're speaking a mystery language. You're speaking an unknown language. And that's be, that's between you and the Lord. And they're doing that to edify themselves. They're doing that to uplift themselves. They're doing that to build up their relationship between that individual and the Lord. This is not the same as edifying the church. There's a difference. To edify the church, you need the interpreter behind it. So they are able to interpret so others know what you're saying. That's why they say in the spirit, they are speaking mystery. I don't, I don't know what someone is saying when they're... Um, speaking in other tongues but that's between that person that individual and the lord but if someone comes up here and speaks in tongues and then someone follows behind to interpret it then that's where me as a believer like okay i get i get the message i understand the message so in this they're saying that if you are that person you're speaking in tongues and you're able to do that you should also pray that you may be able to interpret interpret it Speaking in tongues is secondary to prophecy unless someone gives the interpretation. Speaking in tongues is a sign to an unbeliever. So the next part says edification of the believer. It says at this juncture, let, let us discuss speaking in tongues for personal edification. 
That is tongues that need no interpretation. These tongues may be used in one or more of the following ways. Prayer. Praying in tongues is a blessing and a privilege of the saint of God. Although the understanding is unfruitful, the spirit is edified. So again, if the believer is speaking in tongues, it's not fruitful for the next person, but for them, they're building up their, they're building up their relationship with the Lord. That's what this is saying. We are to pray with the understanding in our native language. But if God's spirit prompts us, we are to pray in tongues. On such occasions, we are speaking directly to God and our communication with him is considered perfect. Singing. The same thing just said about praying in tongues also apply to singing in tongues. We may not understand the words, but our inward person is renewed and blessed. Singing with the understanding in our, own, in our native tongues brings blessings also. So he says singing, if you happen to be up here, you're singing and the spirit takes over and you're singing in tongues. The people may not understand it. Inward, you're being blessed. Inward, your spirit is growing. But then he also says singing with the understanding, singing in the spirit with the understanding also brings blessings. Giving thanks. In this example, a believer may be blessing something or someone and begin speaking with tongues. This is a form of praising God and offering thanksgiving in unknown tongues, both publicly and privately. So this can happen publicly and privately. But the same principles apply of point one and point two also applies here. All three of these types of speaking in tongues may be exercised in a public or private setting. If in a public service, the type and order of the service will dictate whether or whether our praying, singing or giving thanks in tongues should be done audibly or to ourselves and to God. If it will be disruptive or will stop the progression of the service, we should be silent. So they're telling the individual, you have to be able to recognize what's going on. You have to be able to recognize um, how the service is going, what's going on in public. Am I going to be a distraction? Am, am I going to be disruptive? If I am, then I probably should just pray to myself. Speak, to, speak, speak in tongues. Pray to God. I don't need to say it out loud to everyone. So I'm going to get ready to close. And so it says this in the, in the conclusion. No contradiction exists between, between Paul's um, what was that? No contradiction exists between Paul uh, admonish to quench not the spirit 1 Thessalonians 5.19 In his statement, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Quenching the spirit means to refuse to allow God's spirit to use or to bless us when, it, when it's proper and in order. So they're saying that we can't stop this. You should not stop the Holy Spirit from moving in people. You should not stop them from being able to speak in tongues or for those to interpret or for those to use these special gifts. Subjection of our spirit has to do with control. It is essential that we control ourselves in the house of God in order to promote peace, decency, and order. So what he's saying is you can't stop it, but you also got to be able to control what's going on around you. Like, if, like I said, if it's something that's going to be disruptive to the church, if it's something that's going to be a distraction, we, we have to be able to discern that and say, I'm not going to do that right now. I got to wait till it's the right time. They're saying, don't, you don't have to shut it down, but you can't just pop up in the middle of someone teaching and just start speaking in tongues loudly, distracting everybody or stopping the word from moving forward. That's what they're saying. We should never study spiritual gifts without including 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 13. It says the Bible's teaching on charity here is without parallel. 
Charity, which is the love of God expressed through us, supersedes faith and hope. I want to go there real quick. Chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 13. And let me tell you, church, I would love to be this scripture. <laughs> I, w- I just, this scripture describes everything that you love about God. And if we can thrive to be what this scripture says we can be, we'll be great people in this world. But like I said before, we battle with our flesh. We battle with our sinful nature. We battle with the things that we've done before that we wish to change now. And so this scripture is very helpful for those who may be struggling. It says, if if I speak in tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongdoing. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Love never fails. But where there are, are prophecies, there will they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesize in part, but when completeness comes... What is in part disappears. When I was a child, actually, I'm going to stop right there. (laughs) I could have kept going. But that 1 through 13 and Corinthians 13 is so powerful that if we can apply it to our life on a daily basis, we, we will be better people. So I wanted to make sure that I read that out loud here. Um, to close out, speaking with tongues is God's method of controlling and using for his glory, the most unruly member of the body, the tongue. May our voices be lifted to him in praise and adoration, whether in our native tongues or in our unknown tongues. Thank you, church.